Thanks for tuning into the Texas Family Law Podcast, where we provide you tips and insight to help you navigate divorce and child custody situations. This is Brian Walters. And I'm Jake Gilbreth. We are the managing partners at Walters Gilbreth PLLC with offices in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. And we're both board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Your hosts are broadcasting from the Lone Star State of Texas, where both have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates, both inside and outside the courtroom. All right, so picking back up, we've been off a couple of weeks. I've been out. My wife gave birth to a child, which has her doing all the hard work, but it knocked me out of the office for a couple of weeks as well. So we're back at it. And Brian, I wanted to talk about social media uh, and family law proceedings this week. Pretty comes up quite a bit more and more, but it's been a topic for, frankly, since it came, since social media came out. I was, we'll talk about this later, but I was sort of thinking about the topic this morning and I remember at the very start of my career using MySpace pages in evidence, and it's just grown since then in the various platforms and ways that you can use social media in trial or in, in a family law proceeding. So I think the first question that we get from a lot of people on it, and I want your thoughts on it, Brian, is first of all, just simply, is it admissible? Is social media something that can be used in court or in a deposition? I certainly have found that it is. It's, you know, I think you need to be a little careful if you're if you're going to print something, make sure that it is the the whole social media posting or whatever, not just little bits and pieces of it. There could be an objection. If it's not, make sure it's actually the person, not a, not an alias or something like that. But generally, I've found that courts don't have a problem with uh, with it. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think it's probably that's a good point on making sure you print the whole thing and making sure you actually have it. It's that person. Um, even if it's not logical or makes believable, somebody says that's not my profile, you know, sometimes it's a good idea if, if it's worth it to take a deposition beforehand or send a discovery request asking somebody that's their social media post. Uh, I think there's pros and cons on that. If you don't want them to know that if it's really that good of a post, if you just don't want them to know that you may want to save it for trial and it's worth the risk of having someone on the witness stand go, well, that's not mine. Uh, and everybody's staring at going, yeah, it is. Technically, it's not authenticated if the witness says, that's not me, or I didn't post that, or, oh, what's the Anthony Weiner excuse? The uh, Somebody hacked my Twitter account. That's not mine. I think you can deal with that on the fly, though, in temporary orders, because temporary orders are going to be in front of a judge. You can have your client authenticated. I'm familiar with their social media post, social media profile. I can authenticate where I got this and I got it. You probably can get it in that way if you take the appropriate uh, steps. Even if somebody technically says, that's not me, you got to remember you're in front of a judge and that judge is going to be thinking, yeah, that's you. Just like when Anthony Weiner says, my Twitter account is hacked, everybody goes, yeah, we don't believe you. Um, it may not technically come into evidence, but it's, it's certainly going to be used. But if it's we're using something for merits, final trial, it's something that you really don't want to be struggling with authentication issues in front of a jury or a judge at final trial, take a deposition and ask somebody, is this your Facebook post? Is this your tweet? Is this your whatever, Snapchat or what have you? And then if they deny it, then you go about and issue discovery to whatever entity it is. Brian, I know both of us have sent discovery to Facebook, Twitter, you name it as far as the social media platform, Instagram, and to get 
posts and messages and stuff like that. Brian, do y'all use as part of a divorce proceeding or custody a pretty state? Do y'all have a request for social media whenever you send out a, a request for production? We do. It's uh, usually ignored. <laughs> it's not practical the first time around, at least uh, for a couple different reasons, I think. But if you push, um, I think it's relevant. And I think uh, the courts will support you getting it in a, in a motion to compel. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we send, we do the same thing. Uh, we send the, it, it, you're right. It's usually ignored. Frankly, if somebody sends me a request or my clients, all my clients, social media, I usually object and say, you're fishing. It's overly broad. But if you have the request out there and then you know that um, there's something that you actually can use that is relevant, then since you've had the request out there, you can use that as a you know, basis for your motion to compel rather than have to reissue uh, really specific discovery on it. And also for practitioners, it's important to remember if somebody produces it, if the other side produces their Facebook profile, their Twitter account, their Instagram or whatever, you're under the rules unless they give you notice otherwise it's it's authenticated meaning you don't have to prove up through them in trial that this is accurate this is a fair depiction of what the actual post is you have it authenticated because the other side produced it and people forget that rule and that's uh, that's an important thing to remember whenever you're dealing with these things at trial so it is important to ask for a divorce so what instances have you seen it be relevant, Brian? And in your case, is custody or divorce or, or both? Both, mostly custody. And it's a particular kind of person that gets themselves in trouble on social media. We all know this type of person. Oversharing, overly opinionated, no filter that on top of that. And, and that, those things are actually kind of okay with the right person, but in a, in a person who's angry or vindictive or that type of thing, it's who likes to post a lot, there's going to be some posts that almost inevitably are not helpful in a custody case, or in a divorce. And whether it's, it's the most common ones in the custody situations are demeaning the other parents. The other one that's fairly that can get somebody in trouble in a custody case is, you know, ex- showing the things they're doing, uh, whether that's uh, an illegal activity or a questionable parenting or lifestyle choice that can be a problem. I've seen issues in divorces a couple of different ways. One is if you're cheating on your spouse, I'm probably posting pictures of your new girl or boyfriend is not a good idea or showing the new, the trip you took with them to Cabo. Not great. Particularly uh, the it's the is, trip you took to them with Cabo whenever you were supposed to have possession of your kids. <laughs> and then you skip. I've had I've, actually my client that did this, I think a few years ago, I can't see the kids because I'm sick and then post on social media the trip to Cabo with the new girlfriends. Really? <laughs> Could you not have posted that? But yeah, that's... Then there's the the money or wealth or lifestyle ones of, oh, I can't pay child support, I'm poor. And then they're you know, running around to expensive places with expensive things. Or what, what valuable diamond necklace are you talking about? I've never owned one. And there's a picture on social media where you're showing it off. That This kind of thing can, they can all be problems. So... Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, I think people forget too about the, maybe not forget, but just uh, don't dig for it. The message, the the direct messaging, Instagram, Facebook, that sort of stuff where they're sending, you know, messages to, when you talk about divorce and an affair, you ask for text messages, emails, look at phone records between this person. I think a lot of people, I think we've caught a lot of people as far as having an affair, they're sending messages through social media platforms so that there's, it's not showing up on a phone record or emails and stuff like that. And so you ask for 
emails and texts and everything. They say, I don't have any emails and texts with this paramour. Turns out they talk on Facebook. They DM each other on Facebook or they, what do the kids say? They slide into each other's DMs on, on Instagram and, and people forget to ask for that. And then those, those, I think people feel for some reason safer. I've, I've experienced, they feel safer messaging through Facebook or social media platforms. Or I had a opposing party once that wasn't supposed to be talking to the child about the litigation or really about anything under the protective order and was messaging the child through world of Warcraft was a, you could send, you know, you play the game online, but you could also send direct messages to other players. And so he figured nobody would catch him if he sent messages through world of Warcraft to his 10 year old child, letting him know how awful his mom was and this and that. And we got him and that obviously didn't go well for him in court. People are, always coming up with interesting ways to try to hide their communication and you got to stay up to speed on, on all of it. That's true. Although most people, when I started this practice family law 25 years ago, it was difficult to prove uh, or show whether there had been an affair or not, some type of relationship in a marriage that was, that was adultery. And it would be a lot of, he's, I think, I'm pretty sure it doesn't come home late at night, that kind of stuff. But there's always was an explanation. But these days, it's, I think, 98% of the time, if you just have access to their phone records, it's going to be real clear. Relationships involve communication, even if that's not the, the primary motivation, but they're, they always involve some communication. And so just, and, and that's been my experience. These days, people rarely deny, especially affairs, because it's all over their phone. It's their phone records or text messages, their emails. And if you're really super careful about it, you might do something like Snapchat or whatever that, uh, or like you said, the video, like video game type app that you don't think people are going to find. But that is, uh, that is usually not, not, a, not effective if you're digging deep enough. And most people know that and they just admit it these yeah. days. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's very rare that um, unless you communicate with each other through smoke signals, it's pretty rare that there's not some type of paper trail. And then going back to my, I always tell my, my war story on social media as I had, I started out my legal career at UT Law. My third year, I did uh, the domestic violence clinic and they let students go try cases and little cases here and there that, but I actually got, a, got assigned to a client, actually a a dad who was a victim of family violence and his, the mom had taken the kids and taken his kids and dropped them off with her parents and I think Caldwell County. And then she moved in with her boyfriend in Williamson County, wasn't even seeing her kids. She just didn't want the dad to uh, see the kids and wouldn't tell anybody where she was living and lying about it. And we get her on the witness stand and this is when I graduate law school, it was 2009 or something. And she gets up there and no, I live with my parents, with my kids. I don't know what you're talking about. I live in Caldwell County, not my boyfriend's address in Williamson. Yeah, my driver's license in Williamson. Yeah, my that's where I get my mail. That's where I work with it. But no, seriously, I live in Caldwell County, south of south of Austin. But she had posted on her MySpace page. In fact, if you remember MySpace page, you had a little profile section. And first line was, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I just moved in with the love of my life, my boyfriend, and so happy. And that really was nail in the coffin. And of course, my professor at the time had never seen anybody use social media and never seen any of her students use social media in a, in a uh, divorce proceeding or a custody proceeding. So it really was novel at the time. Now it's just second nature. But back that was my sort of first exposure. That's, I guess, when I try to make myself sound older, I just say, I've, I've been doing this ever since MySpace was around and used it in court. And then, we, yeah, we try to keep up. I know in the office, we're always trying to keep up with 
what the new things are, the way that people communicate and everything like that. TikTok and uh, Core two months ago, month and a half ago, two months ago, was actually an issue with the with the daughter of the parents that was posting stuff on TikTok in dad's possession. He knew about it. It was, you know, inappropriate stuff and then wasn't telling mom about it, wasn't talking to the kids therapist about it. Yeah, that was a new one for us is using TikTok videos in court. But yeah, and that's, it's, that's a, that is a real good one. And that's an interesting one because it, you know, it's very short time. You have to put your video on that it has to be really short. It's either, I think there's 15, 30 and 60 seconds are your options. So there's a lot of incentive to make a point or do something dramatic in that very short period of time. And so that does encourage people to overdo it or whatever they're going to, whatever they're doing, make a, make us try to make a splash, which in, in a courtroom maybe isn't, maybe isn't such a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, they make for some quick and good exhibits sometimes. I guess the overall theme of it is if you're a practitioner, make sure that you're asking for all this stuff and digging for it and really looking uh, into this issue, what's out there whenever you're representing a client. And then for the clients, we always tell our clients the word of caution of just be careful what you post. Everything, don't delete anything. We don't want you deleting stuff that's uh, out there already. That's going to that's gonna create different issues and problems. But don't, be careful about what you post. And as a general rule, just in life, keep your account private, particularly if you're going through a, a divorce or a custody case. That's probably just generally good life advice if you're depending on what you're posting on, on social media. But even if your account is private, the other side can get it. A good request for production or a subpoena. So just be real careful what you post and whatever you post, know that could be an exhibit someday. Some lawyer like me or Brian could be using it and cross-examining you on it. So just be real careful. So it's always, it's an interesting topic. It's always throwing us something new, but we like to stay on top of it. So I think that about covers it, don't you? I do. I do. I think, I think it's an area that I've seen a lot of people do a lot of damage to their cases. I've never really seen a, a social media post that's helped anybody's. It's always used to hurt the other somebody. So uh, it's like a lot of things in life, you know, what counts to 10 before you, you post something and think about it. It's, uh, it's maybe not a great idea at certain times in your life or certain topics maybe you should never be posted about. So, yeah, okay. I think that's right. All right, we'll wrap up this week and we'll see everybody next week. Sounds good. All right, bye. Thanks, bye.